Romans 12. As I promised two weeks ago, the week uh, before our Christmas service, I shared part one of a message called Being the Body of Christ, that today I would share part two, the final part of that message. And uh, yes, this message is designed as a, as a preparation, a focus, if you will, going into our fast and into this new year. And, and I believe that in this word, both spoken on December 16th, the first part, and the one today, you will hear things that will help you lay out your uh, um, uh, faith charter as you chart your course, hallelujah, with the leadership of the Holy Spirit into 2019. Whatever we plan, whatever we uh, kind of vision or dream we have for ourselves, they all need to fall within the parameters of God's vision, God's word. And God's will for all of us, no matter what the individual elements of our, uh, of our purposes might be, is to be the body of Christ. Every single one of us are members of the body of Christ. So <clears throat> the last time I was in this pulpit with this message, I read the first eight verses and we went over them, Romans 12, 1 through 8. And you know, uh, they begin with, present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable and spiritual form of worship. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we talked about how that the Lord has a life of transformation for us. And the renewed mind is one that is renewed around the concept of being the body of Christ. If you will, that's the frame for the tent, or that's, that's, the, that's the bones over which the skin forms of a renewed, transformed life, is that all of us think and identify as members of the body of Christ. The second half of this chapter, which I'm going to read this morning and just make some brief comments on, has to do not just with identifying with the body of Christ as a member of the body of Christ, but what does that look like? How do I be the body of Christ as an individual in my daily life? Simple, but it's easy to lose sight of, and we want to sharpen our focus in on that. So beginning in verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, quote, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, end quote. 
To the contrary, then quoting Jesus, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to the drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals of fire on his head. End quote. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. One more time, join me as we pray. Father, according to your gift in me, may I sow your word into good ground today. Grant your people ears to hear and hearts of understanding to receive your word with willingness to produce fruit. This we ask and is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the whole purpose of this message is to identify yourself with the body of Christ by becoming and doing what you hear in these two messages. The first you heard on the 16th, the first part of this message. And what you hear this morning will help you to write your faith charter for 2019. Now the first half of the chapter, as I've said, identifies you with the body of Christ. But what you're going to hear this morning, the second half of this chapter, lays out a character sketch of what being the body of Christ looks like in the life of an individual member. It's all about your behavior, authenticating your claim to be part of the body of Christ. And it's what a transformed life from a renewed mind looks like when it's behaving in public. And it begins with this foundational command. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now we start with this foundational command. Let love be real. That would be, I think, that would be the best way to translate that. In the King James says, let love be without dissimulation. Most of us don't know what dissimulation means. Um, we don't use that word too much anymore, but it means to be real. Don't act. Don't fake it. Let love be authentic. Let it be real. Not an act. So that's where he starts. When we begin to say, what does a member of the body of Christ look like in public? It begins with, let love be real. Don't put on an act. Now, for love to be real, we're talking about agape. We're not talking about human affection or our proclivities or what we like. Uh, we're talking about the love that was instilled with, by the Holy Spirit into us, and we call that love agape. And so the love that's real first came from heaven into our life when we received Jesus. And that love has taught us how to love. That love put love in our heart so that we can keep love real. Can you say amen? So for love to be real, it has to start with love for God and love for his word. The best way I can tell you to have real love and to keep your love real is to be in love with Jesus, to go to him, because he is the love of God made manifest. For God so loved the world, Amen. he gave. So if you want that love that God gave, it's Jesus and it's in him, praise the Lord. Modern culture has a problem with agape, because agape says, hate 
what is evil, but cling to what is good. Modern love says abhor, disdain, push back, push away from evil while clinging and holding fast to what is good. So modern culture and the concept that modern culture has of love has a problem with the love of God because if you classify any behavior today as being evil versus good, then by today's social standards and the standards of culture today, you're not only in violation of love, you're a hater. So for anybody to deem any form of any behavior to be wrong makes you a hater in the eyes of the world. So how do you fulfill this command to keep love real, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good? The way to do it and stay effective in the world as a witness for Jesus Christ so that people can receive the love of God through you is to not hate what's evil in other people, but to hate the evil that's trying to touch your life. Hate the evil that you see trying to rise up within yourself. That's the evil that you need to have a personal feeling about. Can you say amen? And uh, let the evil out there in the world take care of itself. And the whole time you do it, the Bible doesn't say believe in what's good. The Bible doesn't say admire what's good. The Bible doesn't say talk about and run out on Facebook and say, well, let me tell you what I think good is. The Bible says you cleave to what is good. In other words, do what is good. Desire it. Take hold of it in your own life. It's a lot more than just talking about it. Is that not right? So take hold of good for yourself. The next verse goes on to say, love one another with brotherly affection. I like this part. Outdo one another in showing honor. You see, in the body of Christ, that old saying is true. Love starts at home. If you're a member of the body of Christ, this is your home and this is your family. And the Bible says love starts here. Praise the Lord. So showing preference to each other is how the world sees that we're the body of Christ. Jesus said, they'll know that you're my disciples. Not just someone who believes in Jesus, but a disciple is someone who's picked up his cross and is following Jesus. So if we are disciples and we're members of the body of Christ, how's the world going to see that? They will see us loving each other. Have you ever visited a friend's house or a family and you left afterwards, kind of creeped out, and you thought, you know, that's my friend, I like them, but I really don't want to have anything to do with their family. That is a crazy family. They're at each other, and you think to yourself, I would never want to be a part of that family. You, you leave that place thinking, I'm, I'm happy about the family I've got. So we don't want people coming in among Christians and seeing us going at each other and bad-mouthing one another and, and, and treating one another like people in the world do. They need to see us outdoing one another in honoring, lifting up and honoring. Now, are there some, some you could say about each other? Yes, but you... you, you Stay away from that. You, you instead lift up and honor one another. Amen. Nobody's helped by that, that commentary. Nobody's getting anywhere 
Uh, and when people do that about you, it's not helping you a bit either. But when they lift you up, is that not right? Amen. The next verse, verse 11 in Romans 12 says, Do not be slothful in zeal. King James says, Don't be slothful in business. Um, but <clears throat> all the other translations translate the word business as zeal. But I, I like the fact that they bring in your, your secular occupation or your work into this. So kind of keep that in the back of your mind. But Paul goes on and he says the next thing to keep in mind if you're going to be the body of Christ, the way to be the body of Christ is do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So when you're the body of Christ and you step outside these doors, you're still the church. You're still the body of Christ. You don't stop being the body of Christ when you're not assembled together in a, quote, service. We think the body of Christ is God's people in a service. But the body of Christ is not Christians in a service. It's the body of Christ associated with one another out there in the world. And if you're not, if you're in your work environment and there's none of your, quote, church members around, are you not the body of Christ? You are the body of Christ. Hallelujah. So the scripture, the command follows you out there in your daily life and says, be fervent and do not be slothful in your zeal. Serve the Lord. So if you're having a hard time um, uh, uh, putting your best into your endeavors, be it your work or or your projects at home, or things that you're doing outside of your church gathering, then God's Word has a little tip for you. Serve the Lord in doing what you're doing. And do not lag in zeal. Be zealous. We should be zealous in everything that we do, not just in praising God, or not just when we gather together as the church. Because the body of Christ needs to be vibrant in all that we do, the world needs to see the bride of Christ handling everything that she does with life and with zeal, doing it heartily as unto the Lord. And when you do it as unto the Lord, the Holy Spirit fills you with that uh, encouragement that you need. Is that not right? The next verse, verse 12, that was kind of an anemic. That wasn't a very fervent day, man, I have to say. We're talking about not lagging in zeal and being fervent. That was kind of weak. I'm going to give you another chance. Is that not right? Yes. That's a little better, praise the Lord. All right, verse 12 says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I like, again, the King James says, be instant in prayer, which means <clears throat> when you find yourself in a situation, let prayer be the first thing you do. Don't wait till the ship's already three-quarters of the way upside down and going down. Then say, we, somebody better pray. <laughs> the Bible says, be instant in prayer. When you see the iceberg, pray. Don't wait until the thing has knocked you off your course. So this verse is, this one covers how the body of Christ deals with trials. So this is how you, as a member of the body of Christ, should deal with any trials that you go through. Don't get stuck in your troubles and tribulations. You're going to have troubles, and you're going to go through tribulations. 
But the plan of God is for you to pass through them, not to get stuck in them. So fix your prayers and your hope on the deliverance that you know is yours according to the blood covenant. You know that God has promised to deliver you out of all trouble. And so as you go through tribulation and troubles, set your eye beyond those troubles that you go through and be instant in prayer. Rejoice. Say, I, you know, this is so miserable. How do you expect me to rejoice? Well, if all you're doing is looking at the wind and the waves and, and uh, calibrating how bad the, situ how the circumstances are, I don't expect you to rejoice. But if you look beyond them and you see Jesus, who is standing on the waves and beckoning you to come, then you can rejoice because you know that deliverance is yours. Can you say amen? amen. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I thought about this. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And I, I thought if I could just quantify that, I, would, I believe that what the Lord is saying, relate to the body of Christ as your extended family. Think about the body of Christ that the Lord has put you in as your extended family. How would you respond to your family if they were in need or in trouble. That's the mindset, the mentality that God wants us to have. And so the scripture says, contribute to the needs of the saints. And then, as an ambassador of the body of Christ, because when you go outside of the, the circle of fellowship, if you will, and you're out there in the world, the scripture says you're an ambassador of not only Christ, you're an ambassador of the whole of Jesus Christ. So it's not just the head, but of the body of Christ. And if more Christians would include their, their concept of being an ambassador of Christ to take in the reality that they're an ambassador of the church of Jesus Christ or of what we call the body of Christ and not just of the person of Jesus, we would act differently when we are in public. Because there are so many people that are unsaved in the world saying, uh, when asked, the reason why I don't become a Christian is because, and then they cite some church thing that they've had an experience with. And, you know, a lot of times they're just making stuff up or they're being picky because they don't want to take the blame for saying no to Jesus, so they want to blame it on some bad church experience. Hey, as a pastor, I've seen it for decades. But the fact is there are real circumstances uh, where the church has unfortunately fueled people's uh, decisions to resist the Lord because they like Jesus. They just don't want to be part of his body. They don't like those that have represented the body of Christ. And so we don't want to be the cause for anybody saying, I don't want to join the body of Christ because of, and they see your face or remember something. And so as, as an ambassador of the body of Christ, the Bible says, show hospitality. I looked up that word hospitality, and um, it literally means love for strangers. Love for strangers. So as a, as a member of the body of Christ, God expects you to be like Jesus, who no matter what village he went into, he was just 
kind to people. He reached out. He even got criticized for it. The religious leader said, well, you consider yourself to be a teacher, religious leader. Why are you talking to that woman sitting at the well? Why are you, uh, why are you talking with that tax gatherer? Why are you having lunch in these sinners' houses? And they criticized him. And ultimately, it was his showing hospitality that led to them crucifying him because he claimed to be the Son of God. It didn't start out to be his claim to be the Son of God. It started out to be the fact that he stepped outside of the holy religious barriers and he showed hospitality to, quote, unholy people. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. And so love for strangers. Ask yourself as you go into the new year, could I stand more love for strangers? Am I welcoming? When I meet unsafe people, do I act as the greeter at the door of the body of Christ? Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. This one is about how the body of Christ handles rejection and persecution from the world. It's important to know that. How many of you understand how important this is? As I thought about it, I thought, what is he saying when he says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them? I believe that what he is saying to us as members of the body of Christ is, don't act in conflict to your calling. You cannot, on the one hand, be called to be the ambassador of Christ, the minister of reconciliation, and at the other hand, pronounce hate and disdain for the world that you are reaching out to. It's a fine balancing act because even Peter says, some save reaching and pulling them out of the fire, hating or despising even the smoke and the smell of the defiled garments that they have on. You can clearly see that the hate for evil, but the love for goodness, operate simultaneously, side by side, at the same time. You never allow hate for Satan and what he does and how he affects people to bleed over into disdain and animosity for the person who is trapped in those garments of hate. We have to be so careful that we are able to separate these two because the greatest warning that Jesus gave of the end times, and I'll tell you there's been endless books and... and uh, um, Courses taught about eschatology and the signs of the end, and everybody's got their rulers out and calendars and checking all the signs. But the one that I never hear mentioned is the one that I think Jesus said was the number one of all in Matthew 24 when he said, because iniquity abounds, the love of the many will wax cold. The greatest sign of all is that those who have agape, because when he said the love of many will wax cold, he used the word agape. No unsafe person has agape. 
Agape only lives on the planet Earth in one place, the heart of a born-again Christian. So when he says the love or the agape in many is going to go cold because iniquity abounds, he is warning the church that because sin and iniquity will get so crazy in the last days, you'll be turning on the TV. Used to be 40, 50 years ago, you'd see whatever murder or terrible crime or whatever corruption from a politician was happening in your county or in your town, or maybe one or two items that happened on a national level. Now, somebody uh, strangles a dog in Singapore, and uh, they can't shut up about it for three days on Facebook. I mean, it's right there. It's buzzing in your text. Did you hear what's, what's happening in Malaysia? Did you, did you see what they did in Sweden? I mean, it's everybody's corruption and sin being piled and, and distilled into daily doses and rammed with a, with a, with a uh, uh, communication syringe into your mind every single day. And so it's, it's not that uh, the sin and the corruption of the world is, is kind of at a place where it's never been before because God wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah for stuff that you can't even imagine or talk about. So there's nothing new under the sun. What is new is the level at which it's being just paraded in front of you every single day. And as a Christian, what you need to do is guard the love of God in your heart. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Jesus was surrounded by sin, but he did not curse the objective of his ministry. What was the objective of his ministry? You could see right there on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I often think to myself, I would have at least just shut up. I, I think if it were me, I would have just bit my tongue and not said anything, but to, to, to speak that blessing over them, Father, forgive them. Jesus knew this is why I came. These people, as awful as they're behaving, as, as terrible as the sins that, that, are, that are driving them, the reality is, is that I came to set them free. So why would I curse the very work that the Father has sent me to do? So if you're a member of the body of Christ, you're in the world today, don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't curse those that persecute you, even if they're not directly persecuting you. I, we're all guilty of it. We turn on the television and there's some fool saying, wagging their head and saying something nasty about Christians, and you're sitting in the privacy of your own house, and so you just say something right back at them, thinking that you've somehow evened things up, you know, feeling like, well, I've done my part. I've, I've stood up against this foolishness. But the problem is, is you're training yourself to have a cold attitude towards the world. Every time you say things like that, every time you act like that, you are training your heart to respond to persecution the wrong way. What's going to happen should the day come, and for millions it is going to come, when you really are publicly confronted, maybe physically abused, and persecuted, how will you act? How will you respond? If all your life as a Christian, you've said, I'm not gonna put up with that for any, I'm just gonna get on my phone and I'm gonna tweet some nasty stuff right back at you. 
Or you jump on your Facebook thing and say, nobody talks about my Jesus like that. How are you going to act when it comes down to a personal confrontation? The Bible says, bless and do not curse them. Why would God say that? The reason he says it is because Jesus came to bless them. If God didn't bless you when you were nasty, you wouldn't be unnasty like you are today. You'd still be nasty. You get unnasty because God blessed you. So we need to keep that blessing going. You're the salt, right? You're not the salt to grind into their eyes. <laughs> You're the salt to preserve. Can you say amen? All right, you get the idea. Don't act in conflict with your calling. Be like Jesus. Don't attack the object of God's grace and your ministry. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I love this one. Being the body of Christ is all about connecting. Whenever you read about the body of Christ, it always talks about the ankle and the eye and the elbow and the, the interdependence. It's all about connection. So don't be contrary or indifferent towards people's highs and lows. Sometimes as Christians, we become aloof. And we build a perimeter, a force field, if you will, around ourselves. And I know in our culture today, some, some neighborhoods, you don't even know who your neighbor is. You can live there for years. We don't even know who our neighbors are. Um, and um, it's unfortunate because people go through things, extreme highs of celebration. Oh, my daughter got married and just had a baby. Oh, my wife died. And we are used to cutting ourselves off from people and not responding to things like that. But the fact is that one of the best ways for you to be a member of the body of Christ is to rejoice when people rejoice and to weep when they weep. Connect with people, especially at their most vulnerable highs and their lows. That's what Jesus does. So, you know, if you want to earn the right to wear that, that uh, WWJD, weep with those that weep, rejoice with those that rejoice. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now that last one, never be wise in your own sight sight. Now, does that mean that if you're wise, you should think you're dumb or ignorant? No, what he's really saying is all about living harmoniously with other people. Don't be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. When you put all of it together, he's basically saying never outclass or disassociate others because of your view of yourself. You know, Jesus, who is the door into the body of Christ, is accessible to all people. He's the size that fits everybody. He's accommodating in the love of God to all people. All people feel welcome at the door of Jesus Christ. 
Never let how you view yourself become a reason to push others away or to not affiliate or associate with people because you think that they're beneath you or they're beyond you. Win your estimation of yourself. Now, you might be a brilliant person, and you might just know how brilliant you really are. But when knowing how smart you are becomes a problem in associating with others, that knowledge needs to be reworked in the presence of God. It's wonderful to know what skills and abilities you are uh, and God has put within you. I don't believe God wants us walking around thinking less of ourselves than, than what he has put in us. We should think, as God has dealt to each of us, the measure of faith. But when we think of ourselves, we should always think of others better than we think of ourselves. And I think perhaps in our culture, um, this is the one thing that we have to really work at overcoming. Is everybody is, is trying in the world trying so hard to find happiness by asserting themselves. And if you listen to Christian music today, when I compare Christian music today with Christian music maybe 30, 40 years ago or more, I've noticed that the focus, the central focus of Christian music has shifted just a little bit. And it shifted from being about how wonderful Jesus is, period, dot, end of sentence, to how wonderful he is because of how he makes me feel. And the, the, the central theme of a lot of Christian writing and a lot of Christian music today has been moved. The needle's been moved and the focus has been moved to God is awesome because he makes me feel awesome. And sometimes I listen to those songs on the radio and I think to myself, well, my God, if you ever woke up one morning and you let your terrible how you feel and everything, oh, I don't feel Jesus anymore, did he all of a sudden disappear? Is he no longer any of those wonderful things? You see, God is good because he's good. He's worthy because he's worthy. It doesn't really matter how you or I feel about it. He's wonderful because he's Mr. Wonderful. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And that's how we should be about ourselves. It's good to know who you are and be confident in those things. But be lowly in your mind. Learn about Jesus. Jesus was lowly. His burden was easy, his yoke was easy, his burden was light. Now, these remaining verses, I'm going to group them together. These last verses are especially important to our relationship with people outside the body. I'll just read them down to verse 17, down to verse 21. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For if by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. These last verses put together basically show the body of Christ as the salt of the earth, the light and the salt of the earth. And we are here to impart God's goodness into a world that is rotting with sin. And so our job is to be the impartation of goodness. 
The last thing you and I should ever be accused of as a Christian is contributing to the evil in the world. In any form of our behavior, our speech, we should not be adding to the weight of evil. Instead, we should be countering it with grace and with the goodness of God. You know, the question to ask is of myself, of all of us, is there enough of God's goodness working, functioning, and operating in me that when I face tribulation and when I face evil, I will be delivered? And I'll not only be delivered by myself, but I'll bring some people along with me. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think sometimes the reason why Christians are not seeing themselves overcoming is because they don't allow enough of God's goodness to actually dominate the way they think, the way they talk, and the way they act. I'm sorry to have to bring you that. No, I'm not. <laughs> actually, no, I'm not sorry. Because if you really receive it the way it's meant, that's a gift. That's a gift. Think about it. You overcome evil with what is good. If you're not overcoming, the answer isn't to bear down more on the problem. The answer may be is open your life to more of God's goodness. Are you getting the goodness of his word daily into your mind and your thinking? Do you get up every morning and the first thing that just grabs you is all the frustrations of the day as you give yourself to those things? By the end of the day, it's no wonder that you're grouchy or frustrated or angry and having to repent for all that cursing you did um, or the attitude or how you ream somebody out or the missed opportunities to be a blessing. You see, every day, God has assignments for you and I, assignments to, to do good, but you need to get with the one who is good, capital G. Let his goodness change the way you think. Unload those burdens in prayer. Let his goodness fill you. Then you can find out, is there enough goodness of God working in me? Because goodness is what overcomes evil. Nick Champlin cannot overcome evil. Uh, that's why I became a Christian. And, I, and to this day, after decades... I can honestly say Nick Champlin's no better at overcoming evil. But the goodness of God, if I let it work in me, does a great job of overcoming evil. And you know that's true in you too. Can you say amen? I want to close with this thought and we're going to pray. I want to share this in a separate message at some point, but um, how many of you remember the book that came out by Bruce Wilkinson a number of years ago called The Prayer of Jabez? Anybody ever hear that, The Prayer of Jabez? The Prayer of Jabez, I mean, it took off. Millions of Christians read it. They were all excited. It's based on two short verses in 1 Chronicles. And Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I might not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. You know, there's a section of that verse. Verse 9 disappeared. 
and, I, and I'm sorry, but I, I have it by memory in my head. I read verse 10. Verse 9 says, Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. For when he was born, his mother named him Jabez, saying, he caused me pain. And then it picks up and says, and Jabez called on the God of Israel and, and said, Lord, enlarge me and expand me. When I looked at this, the other day, it just grabbed me because I realized I had always thought, I think along with millions of other people who read the book, The Prayer of Jabez, this is all about God enlarging you and prospering you and expanding you. Oh, Lord, that you would enlarge my place and expand me. And so naturally, a lot of people were, uh, were really attracted to that teaching, The Prayer of Jabez, Lord, make me bigger, make me greater. But the fact is, is that the scripture about Jabez says when he was born, he caused his mother great pain. And so she named him Jabez, a pain bringer, or he's a pain in the neck, or you think of some of these other things. He causes hurt. Well, if we're honest, all of us cause hurt and pain in one way or another. When Jabez went before God, he knew that the that the devil had put a curse on his life, even at his birth. His mother named him Painbringer. And instead of praying the way 90% of people pray when they are ostracized or people don't like them because they cause discomfort or pain, most people pray, and the way they pray is, Lord, send people to me that get me. Send me people who will like me for the way I am. I need people to love me with God's love. God loves me the way I am. Well, no, God can't stand the way you are. But he loves you anyway. But he can't stand that, that pain-bringing part of you. But he sees a better person in you. So most people pray, Lord, put me in a church where they'll, they'll accept me the way I am. Send me to people who will like me no matter what. But Jabez didn't pray that. Jabez said, oh God, keep me from evil so that I don't cause other people pain. He took responsibility for himself. He didn't pray, Lord, make the world accommodate me and understand me. He said, Lord, change me so that I cannot bring pain. Are you a pain bringer to other people? I'm sorry, but if I love you, I've got to ask you the same question I ask myself. Am I a pain bringer? And is my way of dealing with it to say, Lord, send people around me. Who do you choose as your friends? Why do you choose them? Do you choose them because... They never bother you about the way you bring pain? Jabez prayed, listen, he prayed the prayer that ought to be the prayer of the body of Christ today. Lord, keep me from evil that I do not bring pain to anyone. And Lord, expand and increase me. Do you think God wants to enlarge and expand people that bring pain? No. Jesus wants to expand the body of Christ 
who have taken responsibility to not bring pain, but to bring goodness and to bring blessing, who don't hold the world and other people accountable for the way they behave, but they keep themselves accountable before God. And the Bible says, and God answered his prayer, and God enlarged Jabez. And God wants to enlarge the body of Christ. He wants to enlarge you and I this morning. Can you say amen? amen. So if you would stand with me, and I'd like all of you, if you will, to just, uh, let's just do this since we're kind of a small group this morning. Let's, uh, let's all come down and just kind of gather around the miracle table. In a few days as we, we begin our fast or whatever, and by the way, if I hadn't mentioned it, the fast that we're going into is absolutely everybody is free to do what they feel led of the Lord to do in terms of fasting. It's between you and God.